out here. Captain! Signatures detected. Shields up. Signatures detected. Context Southeast Command. What's happening? Context Southeast Command. Delay that order. Context Southeast Command. This is the captain. Context Southeast Command. Get out of my chair. Chair, 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 chair. We have engaged the Klingons. Klingons. Welcome to the Greatest Discovery, to Star Trek Discovery podcast from the makers of the Greatest Generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. It's a it's a great week for us, Ben, because uh, we have brand new Star Trek to talk about. Yeah, this episode is coming out a week later than uh, a Greatest Discovery normally would, and that's mostly my fault uh, because I had a bad computer problem. You know what? It's a bad computer problem in our favor because now it's realigned our show yeah. in the proper position, the position in which our show comes out right after a Short Treks episode, and I think that's good. I do, too. I think We don't uh, want to keep the people waiting. Yeah, it would, it would have been weird to wait like almost two weeks to hear what Ben and Adam think of a Greatest Discovery thing. And also weird that like we would release an episode after Short Treks that's not about Short Treks. Yeah. So if you are uh, tuning in to hear our uh, our take on the first half of the uh, Star Trek Discovery Annual about Paul Stamets, don't worry, that's that's still coming. <laughs> that's uh, next episode, so a couple weeks from the release of this one. Yeah, but for today, it's a new day for us, Ben. Yeah, it's a, it's a new Star Trek day. I feel good about that. I'm, uh, you know, this is uh, this is the one that I was the most excited to see. I'm, I, I kind of feel like they should have left it for the fourth of four. You're a real Michael Shabon fanboy. I think everyone knows that about you. You've been talking it up. I love the uh, Yiddish Detectives Union. Loved uh, Wonder Boys, you know. I've, uh, I've read a couple of his books and really liked them. Are you someone who's nervous to have talked up an Artur and then like, like, cause lots of times I'll, I'll get super excited for a film by a filmmaker I really like, and I'll talk it up before seeing it and then uh-huh. I'll bring friends to that film. Yeah. And then sometimes it's not always that great. Are you, were you a little bit apprehensive going into this, given that it's a kind of a new format for, for one of your favorite creators? I think that I was more apprehensive after the last episode of Short Treks because while I thought from a per- performance standpoint it was really good and and a nice piece from a story standpoint I thought it was really weak sauce and uh and I was wondering like does Star Trek know how to do short film mm. and uh and so yeah I think uh I think that's where my apprehension came from I kind of I don't know I Obviously, like the, there are a million examples of like filmmakers whose work I love, and then they made a bad movie or whatever. But I always think it's interesting to see less successful work from somebody whose work you generally admire. So uh, even in that scenario, I was I was kind of curious about this, and and also curious because Michael Chabon is going to have a hand in the old Picard show that's coming out uh, yeah. at some point. So an interesting dry run for him. Like, hey, uh, with Trek in your hands, what do you do, Michael Shabon? Do you want to see if it works? Um, nah, what do you say we just talk about that comic book? <laughs> no way, man. If you want to if you want to quit, you can go ahead, but I'm going to continue talking about uh Short Treks episode 2, Calypso. A title derived from the Odyssey, right? Like, that's that's the idea? Homer's the Odyssey? I wondered about the name. 
Aldous Hodge is our main character actor, and uh, you might recognize him as MC Ren from Straight Outta Compton. He's great in this. Yeah, he's uh, he's really really good. Um, a, a pretty tricky acting task, right? To act against nobody. Yeah, it felt a lot like her in that way. You know, right. like that kind of acting challenge. Yeah, and they have good chemistry here in the voice that uh, that we meet. But uh, but let's uh, let's not get ahead of ourselves. We start on kind of like glitched out digital cartoon imagery, you know, very glitchcore, whatever. And uh, occasionally we'll get some glitchcore people in our live show audience. Yeah, you can always tell they're very staticky mm-hmm. if you uh, if you hug them during a picture. They always cheer if there's uh, any like artifacting when we play our little video clips. Yeah, a um, lot of a uh, lot of artifacting. It's like a Betty Boop black and white cartoon and it kind of like when when it glitches you can kind of see through it like it's being projected on glass and it's in front of his face and he is not looking great yeah he's uh his face looks a little fucked up slashed at yeah he is in a in a in like a cryopod looking type of deal but uh the camera pulls out and reveals that this cryopod is part of a a spaceship of some kind and uh, it's it seems like it immediately seems strange that you would have a spaceship where a person is lying down in it like this yeah um and the spaceship itself does not uh appear to be anything from the design minds behind all of the federation material that we see in the disco time period it's very uh sleek and aerodynamic looking kind of Looks Battlestar Galactica-y to me. Yeah. Like one of those fighters. Right. And as we pull out, we reveal that it is uh, it is flying past the disco in space, and the disco catches it with a couple of tractor beams. And then uh, we wake up, and it's it's upside-down camera work for a little bit while we, uh, while we find ourselves. And uh, You know what's great about this flip bit before we move past the upside-down? Yeah. Is that it the camera doesn't just rotate on a single axis, it instead like pivots on an arm back upright. Did you yeah. notice that? Like I think that makes the move a lot cooler. Yeah, it's a cool move. It's uh because you're, you know, swinging around in space, you're sliding as as you're flipping over. It's very flashy, but it also I mean, all of that upside down stuff. Like the first shot you see is just like little glimpses of his face, but mm-hmm. upside down. And then it's a it's a tracking shot where the camera pushes across his almost nude body on this on this bio bed and it's still upside down and it's just very disorienting and then kind of as he comes awake the camera finds its place right side up and uh, he hops off the bio bed and like loses his balance and lands on the floor. This character is as jacked as a regular one scientist. <laughs> Like, it is clear that he's doing science over there for sure. Yeah, he's doing arm day, leg day, and science day. <laughs> Never skipping one one of them. <laughs> if he has to skip one, he's skipping science day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, he tries to make his way toward the door, and uh, the computer zooms in on a pretty major Ben Affleck back tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, the the, the tattoo is positively Affleckian. <laughs> Got it in high school back in the nineties, just like everybody else. But it's doing like some optical character recognition on the on the tat, and uh, he's not really uh, you know he's not really decent to go out into the hallway. So the door won't open. The cabinet right beside him opens up, and uh, he finds something like some, sort of a hand club style weapon. But also, uh, one of the drawers pushes out, and it, it contains some some garments. It really looks like an object that could do nothing else but bust out a window to escape a car that's fallen into a river yeah, or something. The loner car that uh, we've had for the last year here in LA has has one of those things, like yeah. Velcroed to the to the uh, console on the driver's side, <laughs> and uh, took me like a couple of couple of weeks of driving it to be like what's this uh what's this thing here for you only ever see those in a rental car right like if i if i got into a friend's car and it had one of those i i would make a lot of judgments about the driver right i had never even heard of this idea but the idea of having it on your car in the driest place i've ever lived los angeles california was especially (laughs) silly to me (laughs) hey man you don't want to end up upside down in the la river yeah. Without a, a way to get out of your car. Yeah. But I wonder, would that car sink in what's in the L.A. River? You're, you're saying the viscosity of the L.A. River might prevent a car from sinking? Yeah. Like, if, it might just get caught up in the surface tension? It's like the Dead Sea, where you can, like, float around <laughs> on your on your back, and you, like, barely <laughs> dip into the water. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure bodies float in that river for a variety of reasons. But it do, it's not nearly as medicinal as the Dead Sea. Uh, more Nest brand learning thermostats on Discovery than, than we remember, huh? <laughs> yeah, this is a great product placement for the Google Corporation. Yeah. Um, it's a bit of, uh, it's a bit HAL 9000, too. Um, yeah. There is a uh, little a disc up against the wall in just about every room with a waveform on it, and uh, this disc starts talking to our man. He's struggling to get into the into these clothes that uh that have been shoved out of the drawer at him but they just don't fit over his hulking body which he he sort of there's like a moment where he kind of like starts kind of feeling himself and like checking his beard and stuff he's like oh i'm super beautiful <laughs> i had forgotten <laughs> you ever forget how, be- how beautiful you are ben i forget all the time uh sadly it has never happened to me that i've uh, that i've encountered my body after not remembering what it looked like and was, like, very, very pleased with what I found. Uh, he also is making the assumption that the voice is coming from a living person at this point. He's, he's sort yeah. of asking about this person's whereabouts. Uh, she and, asks uh, his name. He introduces himself as Quarrel, as in yeah. argument. And uh, she introduces herself as Zora, revealing herself to be a big fan of the Zelda series Mm -hmm. of video games she uh really identifies with the hylian fish people (laughs) yeah uh the the good news is that she's repaired all of his wounds the bad news is that uh his escape pod is not repairable so they are uh they're going to be stuck together on this empty ship at the moment because the crew is away when the crew is away the zora will play (laughs) zelda (laughs) Lots and lots of Zelda. Yeah. Well, until until you've played a little bit of Jazz Horse, Adam, I just don't know what other <laughs> video game jokes to make. 
Yeah. I started playing Jazz Horse and I, I got to the point of, I get the feeling that the first couple of hours of Jazz Horse is teaching you how to play because boy, as soon as I went out in the snow on my own, my, my horse died, I died. Like they're really trying to wall you in yeah. to that, that snow mountain, right? Yeah. Once you get off the snow mountain, uh, it gets a lot more just like bleak and boring uh, in a way that I really, I really enjoy. Like I, yeah. I literally spent an hour video game fishing the other day and I was like, hey, this isn't so bad. I had a very fun text conversation with a couple of friends where uh, if you didn't know what we were talking about, a, a line like, I just bathed my guy and he really needed it <laughs> could be taken in a bunch of different ways. <laughs> Aldous Hodge introduces himself as Kraft, as you say, and he's a guy from a planet called Alcor 4. It's a It's a planet in the throes of war and he himself is a a soldier in that war a reluctant soldier we get kind of a almost like a montage of his time aboard the disco where you know he's uh, getting replicated food in the in the commissary he's kind of starting to chat with zora like they're starting to get to know each other a little bit better and she reveals some interesting prowess with like she figures out that he's from Alcor 4 based on on the Bactat. You know, that's mm-hmm. a, a, a species that is only found there. But he's pretty surprised to to be, you know, discovered in that way. Right. Uh, his his people, the Afflecks, have been in war with the Daemons <laughs> for quite a while. <laughs> yeah, they can't agree over Lion Face or Lemon Face. Here's the thing I want to interrogate with you a little bit. That escape pod was a pod that he stole from his enemy to escape a battle of some kind. And this pod was equipped with thousands of media files, and this is one of them. So my question for you is, are the Boudreaux Federation affiliates? Because what the hell is a Betty Boop cartoon doing on any other ship besides a Federation or Federation-adjacent people? I imagined... Uh, based on the information in the scene that they are two human groups that, you know, both have a history of coming from Earth, you know, being human. That makes sense. But one of the big reveals in this episode is that this is taking place 1,000 years in the future. Yeah. And uh, and so I guess maybe, I don't know, like, does the Federation even exist? Like, it's not discussed. You know, is, has the Federation collapsed into factions and there's like, Sort of uh, infighting among them. I wonder if one of the reasons, and we could get to this at the end too, but like one of the reasons that we like our main character here and care for the story a little bit more than the last one is that Kraft is human. Yeah, and um, he's an interesting and layered character in the same way that the that the computer is. I think that yeah. the layers in the character that Tilly meets in the last one were fairly thin but also mm-hmm. fairly predictable mm-hmm. uh, and and there's some some genuinely surprising turns in this in this episode I mean it's interesting that they're both episodes that are kind of about like two characters getting to know each other very briefly and then leaving each other yeah yeah, yeah so the computer has been alone a thousand years and besides playing Zelda she has been improving herself I'm just gonna 
I mean, I'm going to use her gender pronoun, I guess, because I think that's how we are supposed to view her. Yeah. I mean, that's how she views herself. That's how Kraft views her. All ships are girls, Adam. Yeah, that's true. Uh, treat her right and she'll always bring you home, as uh, <laughs> McCoy said in, in that terrible <laughs> pilot episode of TNG, right? <laughs> episode of TNG. <laughs> yeah. This is much more powerful. One of the first things Kraft wants to do is see the bridge, and so he goes. And the bridge wakes up, light flicker by light flicker, and it's covered in in dust like it's an antique. Yeah. Loved that dust. That was nice and subtle, you know? Pretty great scene to get the lights and the sounds slowly spooling up. Yeah. It's weird to feel nostalgic for a thing so new, right? But I think that's a... That's a scene meant to evoke that feeling. It made me realize how good the sound design has been on disco. Yeah. I mean, and that's a, there's a great tradition of good sound design on Star Trek, like making yeah. all of these beeps and boops, uh, you know, recognizable and meaningful in context mm-hmm. in a way that you they teach the viewer to know what a sound means eventually. Yeah. And when all of this stuff sort of kind of hums back to life, it uh, it feels like coming home in a weird way. What he finds on the bridge is that the Alcor system is not uh, totally out of range if he was to take the one remaining shuttlecraft aboard the Disco and uh, and fly it at warp. So uh, he, you know, has, has a sense that he might be able to get home. And uh, the reason he wants to get home is that he has a wife and, a, and an 11-year-old child. That he hasn't seen since, I mean, he hasn't seen the child since I was an infant. We get to know them through both the glimpses we see in the very beginning and also some vignettes of him looking at a picture of them. Uh, the reason that they can't just take the disco instead is because the, the ship has been ordered to remain in its position, which to me would indicate that its artificial intelligence at the time it was left behind, was in place. Like, yeah. that its AI predates its its being left. Because you can't give a ship an order, you know, oh, if this is the era of discovery that we know from the show, right? Yeah. Like, is it the equivalent of, like, you park your car and then your p- car develops intelligence and your car refuses to be unparked until you come back or, or whatever? Like, I, I sort of wonder, you know? and And, like... It's also interesting, given like the opening couple of episodes of Disco featured a scene where Michael Burnham like talked the computer out of keeping her in jail. Right. I wish they'd address that. You know, I wish he had like made an attempt to persuade Zora that maybe maybe nobody was going to come back and and lift yeah. the, the order. If there's one soft spot to the logic of this episode, I think that's got to be it. Because if a computer's developed AI uh, sufficient enough to understand the nuances of something like love, yeah, then I think it could probably understand the difference between an order given, you know, whether or not it's just a navigator entering that onto their station or it being given directly. Yeah. And the pretty okay idea of disregarding that order after a certain number of years like 500 years maybe it would be yeah. it would be a requisite amount of time to go ahead and and go home i was ready for him to just be like zora how dumb are you 
Yeah. You've been here a thousand years. Do you think that any of that even exists? Like, what if you found out that the Federation had collapsed and literally, like, nobody in this chain of command even exists to give the order for you to, to leave? Do you still stay? How dumb are you? I think Kraft, at this point, has to recognize one thing is true. Shit be crazy. <laughs> um, you do not want to fuck with her. No. Sex is probably amazing, though. Yeah, and we see strong indications of that because, uh, like, they have uh, Netflix and chill, and mm-hmm. uh, he's like, uh, "I'd like to do nice things for you too." And we see him practicing his dance moves in the. He sort of made his quarters in the uh, in the transporter bay, which I thought was an interesting choice. Yeah, uh, but he's uh, he's in there like cutting a rug, getting ready for it, and then uh, and then they put on a scene, and it's the the big dance number from Funny Face. And uh, he asks the ship to, like, make a hologram that is an embodiment of what she might picture for herself. Uh, a moment that we never see in, in her, I don't, th- I don't believe. Right. Ben, this scene uh, features a, a, a prop that I want to talk about with you. It's the popcorn container, the branded Discovery popcorn container. The first movie watching scene? Yeah. And is that cooler or less cool than the pillowcase? Or cooler or less cool than the scrubs that we see, like with the with the Federation insignia tag in the neck. Like Man. there's a couple of props on this show that I I would low key be really into getting. <laughs> they are so dumb though. Like like, yeah. and I think that's part of the the appeal to me. I wish that the uh, I wish we didn't know that the uh, that people that worked in props on Disco had to sign a phone book size uh, non disclosure agreement. We know some of those people. I know. They came to one of our shows in Toronto. If, look, if these are single-use props, I'm sure they're keeping them. If there are extra of these, all I'm saying is uh, hook up your boys. You and I bet gen boys. that popcorn container has got to be flat packable, you know? Like, oh, yeah. Put it, in a, put it in a FedEx envelope and get it to us. We need yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> we're used to receiving things like uh, buckets of dry oatmeal, <laughs> not flat packable. Yeah. Also, very deleterious to marital relations. <laughs> One of the best scenes in this short, I think, is that scene where Craft uh, is in the commissary, and the ship makes it feel like home with the sounds and colors of of a of a trip he's made. Yeah. Like it it sort of evokes this emotion in him that I feel like is totally earned and it seems like one of the hardest things to pull off in a in a short form episode is to like make us feel something this deep and I think it's Aldous Hodge's performance that makes us feel that it's really emotional. I mean the performance has to work and the sound has to work and yeah. they both do. Like they they're both very high level. Like, if he makes the dumb bird sound that Data makes in TNG, <laughs> and that's the sound of the bird, like the flappy bird sound, this scene doesn't work. I do not believe that is correct. They needed to really work on the sound that he made and the sound that, that the computer makes in return. Yeah. Like, and there's a lot of little details that add up to this this big moment. And he's very, like, he's very subdued in that moment, you know? He's not he's not really doing, like, a, a full-on impression, but... It's it almost is more meaningful in that way, like the computer interpreting it exactly right. Yeah. 
Do you think if you're the ship, you're allowed to fire probes if you want to? Hmm. I mean, I wonder if part of the order is is radio silence. It would seem that that would have to be part of it if if she's alone for a thousand years. It's like uh, like go hide in this thundery, lightningy nebula for one thousand years. Don't talk to anybody. But if any uh, escape pods come along, feel free to tractor them in. Yeah, weird asterisks to that rule, right? <laughs> May engage in escape pods. Wow. Weird. Anybody ever do something nice for you? Kraft is so grateful for this moment in the commissary that he wants to give something back to Zora, and that is uh, that is the gift of dance. He wants to give her the D. <laughs> the D being dance? Yeah. Yeah. What did you What did you think I meant? Yeah, get your mind out of the gutter. <laughs> so he like he learns how to dance in his uh in his transporter quarters. Yeah, he does the he does that thing that girls in middle school did where they they would play back music videos from TRL and learn all the all the dance moves and then like go to the talent show as Sparkle Motion. Kraft puts a bra on a pillow and then practices unclasping it. <laughs> Why did you replicate that, Kraft? <laughs> no Just reason. In case. <laughs> what are you working on? <laughs> that was the the sort of unspoken thing about the the dance practice scene is like Kraft. We don't, like she is looking at you the entire time. She, right. knows, she knows what you're preparing here. <laughs> Maybe it's more sweet in that way. The cut scene of Kraft just fucking the shit out of a couple of pillows. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, are there any rooms on the ship that you don't have nest thermostats in? Because I have been at war for 11 years, and uh, this is like the chillest couple of weeks I've experienced in a while, and I could really go for punching one out. Yeah, the Internet of Things is pretty incompatible with uh, cranking it, right? <laughs> but so, so uh, back on the bridge, they uh, they fire up the Hollow movie one more time, but this time, uh, it's uh, it is the ship representing herself who comes out, and uh, they dance the dance, and uh, as it as it ends, it sort of. Uh, implied that they're going to go in for a a computer on human kiss, and right before his lips land, uh, he uh, he flashes back to his wife and and infant child, and uh, you know is kind of overcome with guilt. And when he leaves her, there is a a single digital tear that rolls down her cheek. Yeah, because uh, her her character has been sort of frozen there on the bridge, but. Uh, it stays running to to shed a tear. Hey, this might be Adam writes a thesis paper level critical thinking. <laughs> but Kraft very specifically says hold to stop things in progress instead of freeze or pause. Mm-hmm. And I kind of think that's intentional. What do you think? Because hold has that meaning of stopping something, but also the other meaning of... Like hold me, baby? Of hold. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's intentional. I mean, I I noticed hold was said twice in the in the episode, and also liar was said twice. He he looks yeah. he like makes significant eye contact with the uh, thermostat two different times, and 
calls her a liar. One when she refers to having been alone for a thousand years and how it was nice to spend some some me time. (laughs) And uh, the other in this moment when he's walking off the bridge and the... And Zora is very tearfully saying, like, this is this is okay. Like, you're not betraying anybody by spending this moment with me. I'm not even alive. And and the emotion in Zora's voice entirely undercuts the thing she is saying. Yeah. You know? It it uh it is real to her and he calls her a liar because of that. She really does the I'm fine really line read you know <laughs> yeah we're uh, we're two men that are exquisitely familiar with <laughs> ladies saying that they're fine we know what that means she recognizes his need to go and so uh she helps him i think a lot of other short films would take it a different direction yeah at this point would turn it this into uh Hell hath no fury, woman scorned horror yeah, the, thing. You know? The doors lock down like a prison. Yeah. Like, why don't you love me? Kind of vibe. You right. know what? That's interesting when you talk about the tone of this because I was expecting single person on an empty ship to be more of a scary story conceit. Yeah, and the fact that she looks like HAL 9000 is like, oh, yeah. is this just a reboot of 2001 on the disco? There's never a moment where you feel unsafe here, and I think that is pretty deft storytelling because it's it's really focusing the viewer on specific emotions to the exclusion of others. Yeah. So a uh, couple of parting gifts. She replicates him up a uh, golden spacesuit, which uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, I wither at the thought of wearing one of these myself and how bad I would look, but he looks great in it. This uh, this sequined nuck suit is uh, is something very few people could pull off. Babe. Yeah, this is New Year's Eve on hard mode, but uh, <laughs> but boy does he succeed. Yeah, and uh, and their last little interaction happens on the ramp of his uh, of the shuttle pod that he's going to take. It's pretty heavy, you know. He he's deeply appreciative of what Zora did for him. And she's like, kind of saying, like, I don't want to, I don't want to draw this out. Let's just, let's just call it here, you know. Yeah. But uh, as he walks up the ramp, she asks him, "What, you know, craft is obviously a nom de guerre of some kind." Because <laughs> uh, he originally introduced himself as Quarrel, and then later revised to Craft. But she knows that that's not his real name, and she asks what it is. On your world, if we. Or lovers, would you tell me your name? Your true name? If we were lovers on my world, you would give me my true name. Oh. Well, then I... She already did, Adam. And uh, as he walks onto the ship, the the doors slide shut, and uh, she has has, uh, graffiti-tagged the word funny face. On uh, on the back of the shuttlecraft. I think it's going to be hard for Kraft to explain that when he gets home. <laughs> I think a lot like a lipstick mark on a collar. Mm-hmm. Like, 
What exactly is that supposed to mean, Kraft? Where have you been? <laughs> also, what's up with the Nuck suit? Yeah, also... Who, who are you wearing that around? They haven't been making these shuttlecrafts for over a thousand years, so why are you... Where did you get this? And, like, how did you even get it started? Usually, if you have a car in a garage for that long and you don't, like, run the motor from time to time, it'll just rot on its wheels. Yeah, all of the plastic and rubber pieces are going to be rotted to death. Yeah. Hmm. You have to replace all the hoses and stuff. Did you like this episode, Ben? Uh, I really liked it. Um, it's a weird episode that makes you feel keenly for like an artificial intelligence at the core of a ship. Like that last image where he's warping away and she's like, she's got his digital image dancing with her on the bridge. It it's really effective, I think. Yeah. And, and it makes me excited for future Shabon Trek collabos. Tell you one thing, though, man. Uh, if that's what the future of watching movies is like, uh, I'm turning the motion smoothing off. Like, <laughs> give me all of those images on a flat panel. Yeah. I, I don't think I would like watching a movie that way. Yeah, that seems annoying as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so many movies and television shows have tried to imagine that that's how we'll want to do it. Not buying it. Nope. I liked it a lot. It made me wonder, Ben, if if the writers and directors of the short treks are talking to each other at all, because the similarities in general format between this episode and the one that came before is, I wouldn't say unfortunate, but like it's it's easy to compare them, and I don't know yeah. if that's a good thing. It kind of, yeah, you kind of wonder if like one was written before the other and then they kind of like didn't even think about how similar the thing they wrote was yeah. in the fo- as the follow-up or, I don't know. It's really good and so like much like sequencing a record, like I, I like this very strong episode happening second, but I wonder if for comparison's sake it wouldn't have been better to move this into the third release slot. Yeah. I really think this is the most Star Trek is a place episode in a long, long time, though. Definitely. In that, in that this is the telling of a story unrelated to Star Trek in Star Trek. Yeah. It's a it's a, a time that is very different from any time that we've experienced in Star Trek, and yet it is Star Trek. I really wonder, and I really hope, if at the end of Discovery as a series the answer to this question will be given. Like, when does the order to evacuate the ship happen and why? Like, what are the circumstances of the ship being left? Yeah, if this is canonical disco, that's an exciting yeah. idea. Yeah, and that's something I'm going to think about a lot. I think that's that's a fun thing to consider. Do we have any P1s, Ben? We don't have any P1s, but if folks want to get a P1, they're one of the great ways to support the creation of The Greatest Discovery. Uh, you head on over to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron, where a personal message is 100 bucks and a commercial message is 200 bucks, And they really help us cover the cost of producing this program. What do you think of when you think of male grooming? Maybe it's a sharp haircut and a little bit of product, or a bit of the old beard wax twisted into the ends of a mustache. Maybe it's a shower, a shave little spritz of fragrance. Me? I think of shaving my nuts. And not just my nuts, all around those nuts. I'm talking all around those nuts. 
And this form of male grooming is hard to do, when your junk looks like a log of Play-Doh rolled through a dustpan in a barber shop. It's wrinkly, it's wriggly, nothing stays in place, and it's the one area where you don't want to have an accident. That's why I'm glad we're sponsored by the spring cleaning champions at Manscaped. They sent me their brand new Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It's their fifth generation trimmer, featuring two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little bit off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. They also sent me an extra-large Manscaped t-shirt, which I will never wear, but it was nice of them to do. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in your pants. I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I gotta tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from what am I gonna have for dinner to eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals. And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda. Boy, it's a it's an episode with just I mean, how do you pick? There are so many characters that are doing so many silly, silly things. I mean, how could you not pick Funny Face the Shuttle? I mean, just a great, great moment for that shuttle. I mean, if we're ta- if we're picking moments, I think the moment that I would pick is when she says, she, you know, she's saying like, "This is my favorite thing in my in all of my media banks or whatever." And it's just like a crazy ECU on Fred Astaire, but from a weird angle that makes it look like his head is enormous. <laughs> like, he looks like, I don't know, like, 
Chris Gethard in Fred Astaire Loaf or something. Shrunken Fred Astaire. <laughs> Normal size. <laughs> That's a good one. How about yourself? Uh, yeah, I'm going to go outside of our two main characters for mine as well. Whoever told a sentient ship to stay put is my Shimoda. <laughs> Much like telling a very obedient dog to stay and then never killing the command. Like, it's cruel. And if you know what the ship is capable of and how literal the ship would take an order like that, I think it's irresponsible to give a, a command that way. So that's another reason why I'm really curious about the final days of the crew and Discovery. Yeah. Like, what is that about? What do you think it's about? I'm going to guess that the secrets of Spore Drive are such that it's one of those bury the ship in the middle of a space storm forever, <laughs> lest it ever fall into enemy hands, and like, and that's it. Like, right, I think but, it pro- it's probably just that simple. But wouldn't you do self-destruct in that case? Maybe you tell the ship to destroy yourself if it ever came down to it, right? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Hard to know. Need more information. Yeah. Well, uh, what do we have coming up on the next episode, Ben? Next episode is going to be that uh, that long-anticipated review of the uh, first half of the Star Trek Discovery Annual right. of 2018. Uh, this is the... The comic book backstory on your boy Paul Stamets and his handsome and dearly departed boyfriend, Doctor Hugh Culber. Yeah, that'll be uh, that'll be in two weeks. So check us out then. Yeah, and I think this is the point where we just throw it to Rob, right? Oh yeah, this show wouldn't exist without our good buddy Rob's 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 Rob's, and Rob's is gonna take it from here. Thanks, Rob. The Greatest Discovery is a Maximum Fun podcast hosted by Adam Pranica and Ben Harrison. It's produced and edited by me, Rob Schulte, and our theme music is by Adam Ragusia. Head on over to MaximumFun.org slash donate to support the ongoing production of our show. Or you can leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. You can find Ben on Twitter at BenjaminAHR, Adam is at CutForTime, and I'm at Rob K. Schulte. Please use the hashtag GreatestGen or GreatestDiscovery when tweeting about the show. See you next time. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.